welcome to The Daily Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church. My name is Sue Lee. I am part of the lead team at Forest Glen Location. Throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add even a little sense of rhythm to life. So we created The Daily Cut, short biblical devotionals that we now post every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We hope you're encouraged and challenged in your walk with Jesus. This is The Daily Cut, and I am Sue Lee. This week and next week, we are studying the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets are called minor because of the size of the book, not because their content is less important. In fact, each of the Minor Prophets dealt with the fact that God's people has broken the law of God, the covenant that God made with His people at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. The prophets warned against godless alliances with other nations, They denounced political and moral corruption. They warned Israel against losing sight of God. Today, we will be studying the book of Hosea. Hosea is named after the prophet Hosea, who lived during the time of the divided kingdom. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, distinguished from the southern kingdom known as the kingdom of Judah. He was a contemporary of Amos, another prophet to Israel. He was also a contemporary of Micah and Isaiah, prophets to Judah. His ministry extended over half a century, and he lived to see the fulfillment of his prophecy in the captivity of Israel. Hosea mentions the four kings of Judah first, and then he mentions the king of Israel. He warned the northern kingdom that they would be going into Assyrian captivity and he is alive to see his warning come to fruition. One of the unique things about the book of Hosea and the life of Hosea is that Hosea's marriage, his marriage to Gomar, who is described as the unfaithful wife, becomes a mirror of God's relationship to his people Israel. Covenant, commitment, love, these three words describe the relationship between the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomar, But these words also describe the relationship of God to His people. When God's people walked away from Him, He could have just as easily turned His back on them. God could have left them in their sin, let them be defeated by their enemies, and let the entire nation be destroyed. Instead, God pursued them passionately. Time after time, He poured out His hesed, which is a Hebrew word for steadfast, faithful love, or mercy, God's hesed for us describes his commitment to us, his love that is not based on us or what we do or how we perform. In Hosea, we see God offer a tangible example of his faithfulness so that all of Israel could see how his love played out in real life. Hosea's relationship with Gomar mirrors God's relationship with Israel. God used Hosea to display his own steadfast love and his faithful commitment to his people. In January of this year, we had an opportunity to study the book of Hosea during Northside Winter Women's Bible Study, which was at Forest Glen. We studied the book of Hosea based on the study guide written by these four amazing women who attend Park Forest Glen and Park Edgebrook. The study they wrote is titled Hosea, Undeserved but Freely Loved. Undeserved but Freely Loved, which is an accurate description of their relationship to God. 
relationship of the Israelites to their God. But it is also an accurate description of us, of you and me, undeserved but freely loved by God who loves us with his Hesed love. Hosea not only reveals the actions of God, but also the feelings of God in a powerful way. God's emotions always reflect his character. But there is a danger in talking about God's emotion because as forgiven sinners, we always want to fashion God into our image rather than surrendering ourselves to be conformed into the image of God. But through Hosea, we do get a glimpse into God's heart. As God remains constant in his unwavering love and compassion in the face of constant unfaithfulness on the part of his beloved people, more than any other prophet, he also conveys God's anger at the sins of his people and most importantly, their failure to repent and his broken, God's broken heart and even weariness with their fickleness toward him. We're going to review a little bit of history of the background of uh, the book of Hosea. The Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel takes place in two stages. Hosea's ministry began in the time of stability and economic prosperity, but ended in a time of chaos and impending doom. During the reign of Jeroboam and his son Zechariah, Assyria becomes a very powerful nation. In the meantime, the northern kingdom of Israel goes through four kings through a series of assassination. King Pekah of Israel decided to form an alliance against Syria, not Assyria, to rebel against Assyria. They try to persuade King Ahaz of the southern kingdom of Judah to join their alliance. But when Ahaz refused, they threatened war against Judah. Assyria, upon hearing this alliance, retaliated by invading Syria and Israel. Much of Israel's land was occupied and many were deported. The king Pekah was murdered and Hoshea became a king. Hoshea paid tribute to Assyria and Israel was allowed to exist. During Hoshea's reign, a time of relative quiet and peace existed. However, sometime later, Hoshea decided to withhold tribute and turned to Egypt for help. Assyria would not tolerate this. And this time, Assyria imprisoned Hoshea laid siege to Samaria, and within two years, destroyed Samaria, the capital city of Israel, and exiled the people of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed. Israel's remaining population was deported and replaced with foreigners, and the 10 northern tribes disappeared from history. The question we have to ask is, why two stages? And in the case of southern kingdom of Judah, Judah's destruction at the hands of Babylon occurred in three stages. If God's ultimate purpose was to destroy Israel, if God's ultimate purpose was to destroy Judah, it didn't have to be in two stages or three stages of conquest. But these stages of conquest shows that God was giving his people an opportunity to repent and return to him. In the case of Northern Kingdom Israel, 
After the initial defeat in 733, they should have turned to God and listened to the voice of God's prophets. Instead, they turned to Egypt. They formed all these military alliances, and they continued on their idolatrous worship. So while they had that opportunity of about 11 years for them to really turn back to God, they failed. They failed to repent and face God's judgment. There are four general sins that God points out to Israel in the book of Hosea. First sin is no knowledge of God. As it says in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, 2, 3, and 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why? How can there be no knowledge of God? They are the descendants of those who experienced Exodus, Mount Sinai, receiving of the law, Canaan conquest, Davidic kingdom and history. How can there be no knowledge of God? Simply put, no one was teaching God's word. No one was studying and meditating on God's word. The priests who were supposed to teach God's word were not teaching God's people his word. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 9, there's a verse that the priests were murdering. They were committing murder on the way to Shechem, which is quite ironical because Shechem is one of the cities of refuge. Israel has become so corrupt down to the priesthood. Not only were the priests not teaching God's word, but people did not pay attention to those who called for repentance, like Hosea. The temples in the north were dedicated to the Canaanite pantheon of gods, as we can see in the stories of Ahab and Jezebel. They had their own priests, a different religious calendar, no Passover, for example. Even the true prophets of the Lord were silenced, which is why Elijah and Elisha had to live on the margins. So yes, the knowledge of God was suppressed. This went on for many generations, several hundred years, very close to Jerusalem. Most were confused or ignorant. Some were hostile. A few prophets were faithful and preached the truth. Second sin is pride, which manifested in the fact that they forgot their maker and turned to other nations for help. God is pointing out the sins of Israelites, that the more God blessed Israelites, instead of moving closer to God in repentance, they moved further away from Him and moved toward the idols. The more they prospered, the more they built altars to the idols. Third sin that God points out to the Israelites in Hosea is no compassion, no mercy. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Amos, the prophet contemporary of Hosea, has extensive accusations about social injustice, pleas for justice on behalf of poor and the powerless. The book of Hosea does not contain many verses about social injustice, not because God did not think that was a problem. The book of Hosea was dealing more with the root of all these problems, which was the Israelites' idolatrous worship. The fourth sin that God was pointing out to Israelites was syncretism. There's a constant mention of calf idol of Samaria. These two calves that were placed in Dan and Bethel 200 years before Hosea. 
There were also Baal and Asherah introduced by Ahab. And there was worship of Molech, which was done through sacrificing children and fire. In short, they were worshiping God and calf idol, God and Baal, God and Molech. God was not sufficient, didn't trust God to be all they needed and depend on and worship and love. They needed God plus. We see the examples of syncretism not only in the book of Hosea and in the days of Old Testament. We see syncretism constantly in our own lives. What is my God and? Do I need God and people's approval? Do I need God and financial security? God and perfectly behaving children or successful kids? Do I need God and good marriage? Do I need God and career success? Do I need God and relational success? We can ask ourselves, is God enough? Is he more than enough? There's a quote in the diary of private prayer that says this, he or she asks too much to whom God is not sufficient. He or she asks too much to whom God is not sufficient. Corey Ten Boom also said, You never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So in chapter 9 and 10 of Hosea, it ends with God pronouncing judgment. God says, You will be taken to captivity by the Assyrians because of these things, because of these four specific sins. It feels like that's the end. There is no hope. However, when we come to chapter 11 of Hosea, we have a personal insight into God's internal struggle to deal with the rebellious son whom he loves deeply. In the beginning part of the book of Hosea, Hosea's marriage to Gomar is a metaphor of God as a faithful husband and Israel as the unfaithful Gomar loving his people. In the chapter 11 of Hosea, the metaphor goes from God being the faithful husband to God being the loving father and Israel the unrepentant son. Hosea chapter 11, verse 8 and 9 says this, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. It's as if we are feeling God's lament or divine sob. God's wrath against his people turns to grief and weeping and lament. He simply cannot give up his son. There's a very unique verse at the end of verse 8 when, it, when God says, My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. NIV version says, My heart is changed within me and my compassion is aroused. This verse personally really struck a chord with me because throughout the Old Testament, we see instances where God changes his mind, such as Moses' prayer averted God's total destruction of Israel after the golden calf incident, God promising Abraham he won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if 10 righteous people are found, God stopping the judgment on people even after David committed a sin of taking census. But this verse where it says, my heart is changed within me, all my compassion is aroused, is very unique in that God is describing himself in this way. 
he is saying that he is changing his mind about the impending judgment on his people. So apparently this is very unusual because several times in the Old Testament, God turns or relents from his anger in the Old Testament, but the word is usually called nakem, N-A-C-H-A-M. Here, the word behind NIV changed is hepek, H-A-P-A-K, which means transformed or turned over. And this word is usually used for God's miraculous salvation, such as turning rock into a pool of water. Or another example is when Nineveh was overturned in its repentance. So it usually means drastic change negatively or positively. The contrast here is that God says that God's heart is changed in the rising of compassion, even in the midst of the wickedness of his people. Instead of overturning Israel as God overturned Sodom, God's heart is overturned because of his tender compassion for his people. Marvelous and speechless expression of divine love and grace for sinful people. This change is followed in verses 11 and 12 by a promise of the return from exile. God will not abandon his people, even in their exile. God will not give up his people Israel, his son, because God is a God who, in essence, is love, as it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Israel's sinfulness cannot overcome or change this. Israel will not and does not repent, but Israel's attitude and action cannot finally dictate what God will be or who God will be. He will be what He is, regardless of our response to Him. In our relationship with Him, our sins do not have the last word, but God's mercy does. God's grace is greater than our sin. When we look at the cross, we see that God's judgment and wrath are poured out on Jesus, God's perfect, obedient Son, so that we, who are unfaithful and sinful, can be made right with God. What is our response to this amazing love of God who never gives up on His people? First is repentance. We allow the Holy Spirit to convict us on the specific sins and repent and return to the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. There is a big difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is self-focused, is facing our woundedness rather than our wickedness. It is self-loathing, shame, regret, self-pity, a desire for self-improvement, may even recognize wrong, but will not turn toward God for mercy. This kind of sorrow is allowed to fester into something more unhealthy or just to discourage and destroy. Godly sorrow is a sorrow toward God, personal and toward God focused, facing my waywardness and being more amazed at God's forgiveness and His love than being amazed or surprised at my own sin. A.W. Tozar put it this way, a man by his sin may waste himself, which is to waste that which on earth is most like God. This is man's greatest tragedy and God's heaviest grief. Second response is moving from being Gomar to becoming Hosea. What do I mean by that? 
It's moving from being a rebellious and repentant son to becoming a father, from being the one who welcomed home to the one who welcomes home the others, from being the one who receives compassion to the one who offers compassion. We grow from being Gomar to becoming Hosea. We grow from being a rebellious and repentant son to becoming the waiting father through grief by willing to be the channel through which truth is spoken in love. We experience grief and lament for the sins of others, and we offer forgiveness as those who have been forgiven. We grow in generosity, giving of myself, including four T's, time, treasure, talent, and totality. Undeserved, but freely loved. That is the message of the book of Hosea. I will make the valley of Achor, which means trouble, a door of hope. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind us up. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will hear their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. Thank you so much for listening. Join us again on Friday for our next devotional. May God bless you 